0: Hi, this is Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast, now video cast about beginnings, the beginnings of uh, companies, and new ideas, and culture, community, science, uh, sometimes a little glimpse of the future. And uh, I'm here today uh, with David Stevens and Brian Tran, who are among the founders of Seraph, which is one of our most recent and I think most interesting, most unique, most promising uh, portfolio companies. It's uh, great to have a chance to uh, chat with you guys.
1: Thank you, Mike. That's so kind of you.
0: Well, it, it's the <laughs> truth. So, you know, uh, we should get into the fundamentals of, you know, what is here and what are you doing? But, you know, this is one of those companies that it's a community, it's token uh, tokenized, it's focused on LBGTQ. So is it a queer community that has tokens? Is it a tokenized community that happens right now to have queer people in it? Uh, how would you guys describe it? And of all the things with your backgrounds, that you've had pretty successful backgrounds that you could do. Why this?
1: Totally. Um, let's start with backgrounds and then go into the origin story. Um, sure. David, why don't, why
2: don't you kick off and I'll, I'll take it from there. Yeah, I'm happy to. So I'm David, co-founder and CTO of Serif. Um, I'm coming into the Web3 space from artificial intelligence and data science. I started my career on the growth team at Uber, um, where I was doing data science for them for a couple of years back in 2015 to 2017. Uh, From there, I moved down to Argentina. And that was really where I was first exposed to how people were using cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies. Um, They were using it for cross-border payments and remittances and really as a stable store of value against the hyperinflation of their own currency. But before I jumped into Web3 full-time, I moved back to New York. Um, I was at Peloton for a couple of years on the computer vision team and um, made the leap into Web3 with Serif uh, full-time in December. Got it i've I've had a very wildly different career than David. I
1: started my professional life in design and product at large consumer tech companies like Pandora. Then I moved into the venture capital world as a designer in residence at Kleiner Perkins, where I was working between their seed stage team, and their venture teams to support portfolio companies and internal initiatives. I had a lot of fun, but you know I just miss being on the ground intimately with teams and getting things. Um, launch. And so I went back into portfolio companies to help our companies launch their various products. Things were going great. Acquisitions left and right. After um, an acquisition from Stripe, you know, I wanted to explore and do my own thing, right? And answer the question and a problem of I've, I've come out of the closet at 13, you know, how do LGBTQ people form more meaningful connections, right? Sarah really started with you know, coming out at a young age and not having any resources or ways to meet people and then moving to San Francisco out of all places and realizing that I was still relying on exclusively bars, clubs and hookup apps to form my community. Right. And although fun, not exactly the most meaningful way to have connections with people because you're mostly focused on, you know, partying and hooking up and dating, which are You know, necessary things, but not the end all be all. Um, And then fast forward, um, as of recently, David and I uh, were monitoring what's been unfolding in the Web3 space just because we were enthusiasts by nature and noticed that the conversation topic and discourse, specifically with NFTs, was shifting towards how these um, primitives could be used to own identity and culture. And it, it gave me pause, right? Because when you think about culture and all of its aspects from film, art, music, fashion, um, literature, it's impossible to ignore the contributions that LGBTQ people have made throughout its entire lifetime and development. But we noticed very quickly that there weren't any LGBT people talking about this in the NFT world and a yeah. light bulb went off in our head and we said, wait, we need to make sure that not only we have a seat at the table, but that we are a part of the innovation because historically we have seen what happens when queer people are left out of the picture um, of innovation that reshapes economies. We've seen what happens in healthcare, right? You can't visit your significant other when they're sick. We've seen what happens in institutional finance when you can't build wealth it's it's the same story and serif you know was not only designed to create community for lgbtq creators and leaders to connect but also to get exposure into to web3 All
0: right and frankly that's one reason why we were really interested when you guys popped up apart from just impressive backgrounds this was one of the. We're pretty interested in community. We always have been. Early community Pinterest and all that, and even way back when early tech communities, when folks were doing things like telnetting and you know early email and anything to stay in touch and help one another uh, out. Um, but we believe very strongly in, in the notion of communities of consequence, where things that are going on really matter. Yeah. And uh, and we saw that here, and we also felt. We're, uh, on the one hand, really into crypto and private currency. I started one of the, maybe the first online uh, uh, private currency uh, project, but like in the 90s, so way too early. We had a Fed, oh. Janet Yellen was on the Fed and all that sort of stuff for a private currency backed by GM. But but our funds haven't been super active because we're seeing a lot of fraud, a lot of stuff that is Interesting on the face of it, but not fundamental. And you guys showed up not only with consequence, but you've woven the NFTs into the community uh, and, and using them in a way we've never seen before. And we were just fascinated about this could actually work. And and mm-hmm. if it works, this could really be something. So we should probably talk about that. So it's tokenized, but uh, explain how it and what this community is there for. So you know, it's just that. LBGQ is kind of a label but who are the people and what are you hoping to get them to do and what are you hoping they'll contribute and and what do the NFTs have to do with that?
1: Yeah. So, David, why don't I talk about who the people are and you want to run with the rest of
0: it? Yeah,
1: go for it. Yeah. So, totally agree with you, Mike. Community is a, a blanket term and members of communities are also very specific, right? And as we've seen Seraph evolve... We have been able to attract leaders and creators who happen to be LGBTQ, right? Leaders, what does that mean, right? That is as understandable as a Fortune 100 executive, you know, um, to a startup founder, all the way to a, um, an activist, right? And then creator, what does that mean? That could be an artist and writer all the way to an only fans creator right we that's the, the whole spectrum of serif right and so some of our members um you know I, I think about you know jim fielding who was the former head of retail for disney right i think of uh nick casey um they are one of the most recognizable and contributing activists in the la metro area I think of you know Micheline Thomas, one of the most prolific artists of our times. Right, it's rare that you have these types of leaders and creators in one space because they they're all so different, right? And I think what bonds them is actually more than just being LGBTQ, but this innate desire to um, not only connect but also to address and help other people like them and the problems that they've experienced, right? They, these people have experienced so much success in their personal and professional lives. They have this desire and they're joining Seraph because they want to figure out how to help um, the communities that they represent. And um, I think what David will share with you about how the community is organizing and how the NFT specifically enable that as
2: an instrument is, is gonna be really fascinating. So David, why don't you take it away? Sure. And before I dive into the tokenization aspects of it, which, of course, as the tech person, I'm super excited to talk about, I just want to add another layer to why the queer community that we're building is of consequence and why it's so needed. Um, I think the best way to describe this is from, I'm, I'm getting this concept from a book I'm reading right now called The Queer Advantage. And it's a series of conversations with LGBTQ leaders like Margaret Cho, Troy Savon, Dominique Jackson, Michael Kors. And it talks about the power of identity and asks them questions like, How has being queer advantaged you in your career and in your life? And the common thread in all of their answers is the power of the queer network, really. Um, being queer gives you the ability to connect instantly with people whom you've never met before on the basis of a shared identity, right? That's that's often at odds with what society says is okay. And so being queer is really a powerful force that bonds our community together. And so many leaders have tapped into this and used it as a source of strength, as an advantage. Uh, and so I guess when I think about why we need to build Seraph and why we need to build a queer community, it's about taking... The queer advantage and making it more visible where any queer person can tap into this network no matter where they are in the world and find a source of community strength and advantage um, and so that's where that that concept of uh okay no matter where you are in the world that's where we start to enter the digital realm and that's where the aspect of tokenization starts to come in and become really important um when we first started thinking about okay why is tokenization an important aspect for the community? We wanted to figure out how do we use this to enable the community building that we tried to do. And I think the biggest thing for us is that using a token enables us to flip the script in a way. And instead of extracting value from the community and saying, okay, we're going to monetize our community's attention, or we're going to sell their data as a way to carry on and and make money, we can instead drive value back to the community because they're NFT holders. And as we create more value for the community, in theory, the value of the NFT goes up. And so they share in the upside, the community shares in the upside, and they also have decision making power and capability in what we do, which is a complete paradigm shift from the more centralized web two way that things were being done uh, previously.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating to me. And the the notion of right from the beginning creating a a business where you guys are developing it, but you're uh, sharing it and seeing the uh, uh, benefit uh, role to the participants. Mm -hmm. Clearly, the generation before did the exact opposite talk about extraction. I mean, dining out on Almost uh, everything you do, we talk about all kinds of things here, and we'll talk about a, a topic in partner meeting. And even though the big five aren't in the partner meeting next day, that topic is all over my feed. And uh, you know, it's I don't like it. it it's uh, it's intrusive. It's also forcing those companies to spend money on somebody me who's not a customer, but is talking about them in a completely different context. And uh thinking about this, that we're all in it together and we should all benefit together. We're all contributing. We're all taking our part, uh, I thought was uh, quite wonderful. Uh, and so any indications it's actually working, it's pretty early. But that you're going out and you're saying, hey, you can be part of this community, we can leverage the networks, you can help lead our people, if you want to call it that, and benefit from doing so, any indications of folks on the other side are going, I'm down with that let me in?
1: I mean, yeah. So we actually launched officially a couple of weeks ago. And um, what did that mean? Our, our minting site went live, our, our tokens dropped and um, we started accepting applications. And I think an important note here is, you know, typically when you think of NFTs, right. um, You have to be on a list to mint and, you know, there's a public mint where, you know, anyone who has a wallet address, there is an allocated um, pool carved out for them. For Serif specifically, um, we don't buy
2: into any of that. What we have to do is um, you have to apply to join Serif. We we have an application-based NFT minting process. And the way that we're able to see, okay, there is actually demand for this is the number of applications that come in. And since we've launched, we've received over 4,000 applications. And so that, to us, is an indication that, yes, this is something that people want. They're excited about this. And then I think the other stat that really speaks to what uh, is going well about what we're working on is that over 60% of the people that are minting a serif NFT have created a wallet just for this. Uh, this is their very first NFT. And to us, that represents success for bringing more queer people into the space, which is a huge goal for us because we want to make sure that this nascent technology is shaped by the communities that it's most going to affect, which is often marginalized communities.
1: Right. And just to add on to that, um, you know, to date we have over what 5,000 people who have applied to join Seraph, And this is not, you know, you, you submit your email address, right. and you, you know, you're on the list, right. You have to fill out a very, lengthy application that minimum takes 15 minutes we ask very deep questions about what you're looking for why you want to join Seraph. um we ask for your bio and we ask you 21 questions including your social security number i'm just kidding uh we don't go that far but we might as well right your seed phrase <laughs> Yeah.
0: so yeah it's like immigrant really uh it, it felt to me that you're uh, applying to be a citizen here to some degree mm-hmm. and it's a uh, it's non-trivial. That for us, you know, is an expression of consequence. So folks are willing to put in the work in a way, and right. uh, uh, to get this going. So let's imagine that it does work. So people apply and they come in as foundational members, and as foundational members, they're working to build this community and proposing ideas. And you guys are responding, and there's micro communities and new capabilities and all that sort of stuff grows out of the interaction. And so this thing starts to grow like Topsy. But then, so it's growing like Topsy. You have all these people interacting with one another and creating ideas. Um, How is this a business as opposed to a social movement or, uh, you know, the gay equivalent of the Southern Baptist Conference or something?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is is a really good question, right? Um, I think community (laughs) generally is hard because you're fulfilling, a, uh, you know, a, a human need that, you know, should just be table stakes for everyone. But um, how do you, you know, build a sustainable business that not only allows the community to grow, but also provides resources for the community? And also, how do you think about the, the broader community that surrounds them, right? Um, I think, historically, you know, we group LGBTQ people all as one, but the reality is it's a very fragmented landscape. And we are very quick to acknowledge that, look, we can't serve everyone, but we can serve specifically leaders and creators, right? That's a very behavioral profile that um, we've been able to to gather and to connect. And as we think about our business, you know, a membership-based model um, on an annual basis is is the key, right? So for us, your NFT very much acts as a initiation fee. And um, technically you can trade your NFT on the open market, but you're discouraged to because your identity is tied to it. And even if you were to acquire um, a Serif NFT on the secondary market, you wouldn't reap the full benefits until you're officially accepted into the community. And so um, I think it's also helpful here to understand what are the key benefits and utilities of our NFT because that really expands into um, the the core business and also the ancillary businesses that could happen as well. So the biggest utility is that um, you get rights to purchase membership into the physical locations that we're building around the world. Um, We're starting in the US obviously, but we'll expand from there. Um, We have a number of perks and benefits that um, we've done in partnership with local businesses and CPG brands. Um, So this is everything from Rebud, where if you show them our NFT, you get 20% off your cannabis purchase, to Solace Health, where your first visit to a doctor's office there is free. So we really think about this very similarly to an Amex rewards program, but targeted towards um, LGBTQ life. And um, of course, there's a Web3 educational aspect that comes with this. But for the interim, um, I think a big part of our business is really membership into these physical spaces that will have its own annual fee um, that is fiat-based. But as we think about how to grow and include other members who don't fit into our traditional membership spaces, we totally foresee a digital membership where you can digitally connect attend things um, that are local, but also globally via digitally, um, our app, and then have access to our benefits and perks programs that we scale
0: out. Uh, so I'm-, I'm really curious. So I'm sitting here, I'm not sure where you are, Brian, I think you're in San Francisco, but I'm basically looking out my window, uh-huh. down the hill at the Castro Theater sign. So uh, I'm in that neighborhood. And there isn't A gay community there are like 427 gay communities here there are guys in kilts there are guys in leather there are guys that you know dress like Clark Kent there are people walking around with nothing on but golden cod pieces and there's trans and there's so in that kind of very diverse community I have to imagine that on any topic there's opinion a and then there's counter-opinion b c d e f t so how do you keep this from breaking down into chaos? If the community has some involvement in what happens and what matters more, uh, how do you you know, keep this from becoming like the Israeli parliament, where it's just nothing but pure argument all the time?
2: Um, do you want me to take that, Brent? Sure, go for it. So, uh, Mike, I think what you're touching on right now is one of the hottest debates in the tokenized community community the tokenized community meta community if you will uh, about how to do governance well and nation states are figuring it out um the us has one model that may or may not be working and tokenized communities have the opportunity to say huh we can sort of rethink governance and a lot of them are falling on okay let's take our token and weight votes by the number of tokens that people have which ends up just of mimicking capital in the real world so i think where we're heading towards is certain people are better suited to make certain decisions right like if the decision is where to purchase the next property then someone with real estate experience or who's a licensed realtor in those areas their opinion should likely be weighted more than like my opinion where i know absolutely nothing about the real estate in new york for example right or la So where that's heading with Web3 is there's something called verifiable credentials. These are off-chain credentials that kind of qualitatively say, here's what I know, here's what I'm credentialed for, here's what I'm an expert in and allow you to access that on-chain. So the short answer to your question is, okay, I think the answer is if everyone were to try to vote and come to a consensus on every decision then it would devolve into chaos. But if instead you take the issue at hand and you take the people that are best suited and prepared to answer it and, and layer in verifiable credentials, decentralized identity, and use that to weight the decision, then I think we have a much more promising governance model.
0: It'd be fantastic if we could do it. it. It feels like that's the case where everybody feels it's not exactly what they would want, but it's close. And because of However, you've got the uh, statistics running under the hood. Mm-hmm. It relatively reflects the uh, uh, prevailing majority view on the topic at hand that matters the most right now. Really, really hard to do. Um, but if folks can come to trust that way, then uh, uh, it's an extraordinary amount of power, not just in this community, but potentially in any community, which maybe leads to a question. So is this an lbgtq community now and forever or is this an lbgtq community because the lbgtq community is pretty yeasty community and as you're saying brian historically gets in early sets trends has courage you know uh teaches to some degree the broader culture what they don't know they're ready to get interested in next but here it comes So are you starting there because this community is actually likely to do stuff, or is this the community? And and based on that, do you expect other communities? And if so, which ones, when, and on what basis?
1: I mean, that's a great question, right? I mean, first and foremost, you don't have to be LGBTQ to join Seraph, right? You know, in that alphabet, there is a letter A for ally, which is reserved for straight people, for lack of a better word, right, who are interested in making sure that we have not only safe spaces, but you know our agendas moving forward, right? So that's why we appreciate people like you who are partners in this and who believe in the greater mission of what Serif can do. So we we welcome everyone who is invested in our community and its success. As we think about, you know, what I would predict, you know, at our um, in our many inflection points of growth, is that Serif becomes just quite simply a forward-thinking community whose DNA is an innovation across um, technology and culture. We're pushing the boundaries in arts, we're pushing the boundaries of what's happening with um, Web3, and we're combining it all together to um, empower community, connection, and creation, right? I think our hope is that, and our point of view and posture on Web3 is that it should be user-friendly and it should enable things to move faster for communities. Um, It shouldn't be the star of the show. Um, David, I'm sure
2: you have some thoughts, so feel free to add on to that. Yeah, I like what you said about not making Web3 necessarily the star of the show. I think our stance has always been, we see that this is a tool to enable greater community building and more uh, intimate forms of community building, but... Unfortunately, the state of the tooling right now is such that it can't just be swept under the rug or under totally under the hood. And so it does have to be at the forefront in a lot of ways of what we're doing. Um, the only thing that I would add to this is, I think Serif's DNA is rooted in queerness and we are committed to maintaining and creating spaces um, for queer people, right? And yes, it's, it's at the forefront of innovation, and culture and what and Web3 web tokenized communities, But um, I think continuing to focus on the queer community and making sure that um, they have a unique space in a world that is very much set up for heteronormativity and every other space is you know a straight space in a lot of ways. I think that's um, core to Seraph's DNA.
0: And given that, so when you guys started this, uh, maybe you really prescient, but I don't know that you were picking up fully on uh, Roe v. Wade going down and sidecar opinions going, we should go after everything that's been considered modern and that the framers didn't happen to include in the original documents and you know, a sense that, well, here we go, right back to the 1950s, everybody, Purdue uh, uh, folks uh, in the shadows underneath the lower West Side Highway late at night, loud and proud, forget about it. Uh, so how do you feel about all that? How much do you think that is affecting you? And then alongside it, there's been a, you know, sort of a collapse in crypto and all that too. Uh, so headwinds, head tsunami, uh, <laughs> uh, how do you all uh, view that as you're launching into it? Yeah,
1: so, um, this is a great question. And my initial thoughts go to history as a funny way of repeating itself. Um, as we think about you know, Roe versus Wade, right? I see it more as macro politics at play again, right? Um, and not specifically Roe versus Wade, but like what that postures for other landmark cases, right? Especially ones that are concerning um, the LGBTQ community. And if we kind of examine what has happened since ancient history to maybe even rolling back more recently, in the the 70s um, and early 80s um you know there were times when lgbtq people were thriving and heavily and widely accepted into cultural society right um there is a person that comes to mind christine jorgensen um Mm. who i believe was in the army rose to fame um especially in the 70s and 80s on all talk shows and was openly trans um, was widely celebrated. But then of course, you know, we know what happened after that in terms of political events where things just tightened up and got more conservative, right? Um, and we have always just sort of hit the reset button, right? And this has, again, has existed since like ancient and Greece. And so what I think is powerful about Web3 is that with blockchain technologies, you can't erase history. You can't erase you know who is attributed to what right and the questions that we think about are like okay like what if alan turing's work his identity was documented you know on the blockchain right um what could have happened we think about the history that was lost that was never documented right like how could that have survived you know without a fire right i think these are the things that keep us at serif awake and excited to continue pushing the boundaries of what this technology can do and i don't think we're gonna get it right initially but we are getting close in um especially with the community experience
0: that's really interesting if things get really really bad you could be the library of alexandria uh in a way for all of the this you know we could talk on and on and on and we're uh over time uh, so i feel like we sort of have to wrap though <laughs> I don't on wrap, but uh, so one last question. If we get together and do this again a year from now, which we will, and things go just as you hope they will, what will we be talking about? What will serif look like a year from now? Oh,
2: David, you want to go first? <laughs> and I'll go last. I can start. Yeah. Um, so to me, success for Seraph in a year is allowing the person in Kentucky or the person abroad who doesn't have access to a queer community locally uh, to be able to access our digital membership and tap into the power of the queer network and the queer community wherever they are. Um, that to me represents success, and that's really what we're going to be building for in the next year.
1: Yeah. Um, this is an analogy, so entertain me. I think um, before churches, you know, had all their scandals, media and television talked about them in very specific ways. You know, they were philanthropic, um, you know, goodwilled uh, Samaritans, but very powerful. I think that will be what we'll talk about from a year from now how Seraph has become a thriving community that is able to affect um, industries and economies um, that have improved the lives of other people
0: got it great stuff uh great idea to end on thank you very much thanks for starting this we're delighted (laughs) and proud to be involved uh looking forward to all the unexpected things that might uh, happen right looking forward to getting a chance to actually meet you you here in a a couple of days
1: mike thank you so much for everything
0: sure thing thanks so much mike
1: bye everyone